Hey everybody, my name is Danny Dumas and this is the Earn Your Title Podcast. Today we are talking about being prepared for a medical emergency. Now this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I don't think I am an expert in most things, but when it comes to uh, medical emergencies, I'm an expert. I have spent 23, almost 24 years as a first responder, as a paramedic and a firefighter, and the ability to respond calmly and effectively in the face of emergency has just as much to do about your mental preparation as it does your actual skills and the things that um, I'm going to talk about, the hands-on part, but the the mindset. So we're going to spend some time talking about a mindset of a first responder or mindset of someone who is prepared And uh, yeah, so let's get into it. So what does it mean to be prepared? Well, I think as husbands, fathers, and leaders, we should be providing for our family. Now that's uh, financially, right? We need to be having our kids and wives and, you know, whoever's staying with us living inside, it should be heated and cooled. You know, like we should be providing food and uh, quality time and a safe environment. So, and I think we do a lot of that. I also think we should be preparing ourselves and our family for when things go wrong because things will go wrong. The Murphy's law is real. You know, when it, at the worst possible time, the worst possible thing can and will happen. It's just it's just human nature for bad things to happen and being prepared is usually the difference between Great success or great failure. And I don't know about you. Um, you know, I'm 43. I'm almost 44. I have started to get way more pleasure in being like prepared and ready for anything. For instance, the other day, somebody wanted a tool or they needed something at my house. And I wasn't home. And I told them, I need you to go downstairs in the basement. You go here. There's a red tool chest. Open it up. It's the third drawer. It's right there. And it was. Now, that is not my nature. I've had to develop that over the years and years of being disorganized. But like I was prepared for that to happen. So uh, what are we prepared for? And what, what can we do as you know, non-medical professionals? Because sometimes people ask, like, what would you do if, uh, I don't know, if there was a, name, name the emergency. And I always say, I would call 911. The reason I would call 911 is because when I don't have a ambulance or a trauma kit or some type of tools, I'm only good for knowledge, but I can't really affect change. I can stay calm. I can direct people. I have a general idea of what needs to happen, but without my tools, I don't, I'm not very, uh, I'm not very, very effective. So the first thing as we start to prepare for the emergencies we're going to have in our life is to acquire the tools that we are that will help us stop the emergency, slow down the emergency, or at least buy us some time so that the professionals can come with all the equipment. And when I think of the emergencies that could kill us and we have the ability to con- control it, um, I think of major bleeding. And the reason I, I, I think I really want to focus on major bleeding is because it's controllable and fixable for for, for most of us, for most of the major bleeding. For instance, as opposed to somebody having a stroke. Now, I teach um, first aid and CPR through the American Heart, and they have a first aid program. And I feel kind of bad because most of the program is me saying, this is what a stroke is. It's when part of your uh, brain doesn't get oxygen for whatever reason, uh, aneurysm or a blockage. And then that part of the brain starts to not function and affects your body. 
And in reality, um, it's important that you notice that, but you have to get someone to the hospital. There's literally nothing you can do to stop the stroke, to make them better at home. They need to go to the hospital. They might need surgery. There's might need clot busting drugs. They need some outs or some advanced medical intervention. Same thing with like, um, heart attacks. You maybe can give some aspirin. If they have the nitro, you can assist them with that, but they're really, there's not much you can do, but bleeding, especially something from the limbs. Somebody has major bleeding from their limbs and you can literally save their life by having a tourniquet. I happen to have a couple here. This is a cat tourniquet. And this is actually the cheap Walmart version, or not Walmart, Amazon version that is like $12. I When I teach, I use these cheap ones. Um, if you're going to carry these kits, I encourage you to buy a quality tourniquet. I don't think you need to buy the most expensive, but these ones are super cheap. I wouldn't want to trust my life with it. But if this is all I had, I would definitely use it. And I have tourniquets. I have a tourniquets in every car I have. Um, why? Because major bleeding can kill you. You can lose blood extremely rapidly and you can stop. You can literally save someone's life by just cutting off the blood supply to the cut. A lot of times in the first, uh, first aid class I had was very boring. And the guy got into super detail about things that didn't matter. Like I was really worried about splinting, like getting it the right, you know, the right material and like the bandage in the right spot. They would spend a lot of time talking to us about doing it very specifically. And then I became a paramedic and there was some specifics. And then I got out into the real world and I just saw these guys that had 20, 30 years of experience riding one of the busiest ambulances in our area. And when they went to splint, if someone had their arm wrapped around their body, just holding it, they just wrapped the arm around the body and held it tight for them. They used pillows, whatever they had. They just didn't, they just allowed them to not move the limb. I'm like, wow, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so I'm going to break down major bleeding and how you fix it. If it's on a limb, you, and there's liquid of any type coming out of the body or assume it's blood, but whatever's coming out, you want to stop that. That is the basics of bleeding control. There are three ways to, I say two ways to stop it. One way to slow it down. Um, take something and push on it. That's it. So if, if someone cuts their forearm, push on it. And even better, have them push on it. Just hold pressure, squeeze it as tight as they can. That is one way to stop bleeding. Now, the reason I want them to do it, because I'm going to go run and get my first aid kit and get some more uh, material. The second way to stop that, or I guess I could add to that. So th th they hold it. The next thing, the next addition to that is you're going to put some type of absorbent material whether that's a cotton rag, whether that's um, a paper towel, something that will absorb blood, and you're going to push that on the on the wound, and then you're going to hold pressure. Why are you going to do it? Well, they weren't doing a good enough job. Maybe it was arterial bleeding, which would be splurting bright red blood, which means every time the heart beats, the pressure increases and it's shooting blood. That is the the more dangerous bleeding, as opposed to venous bleeding. The reason they didn't do it because it probably hurts. And they don't want to hurt themselves. So I always tell people, you know why I can squeeze harder? Because it doesn't hurt me. And in the, in the medical world, sometimes you have to hurt people to make them feel better. Sometimes you have to do things like start IV, which is sticking a needle in somebody and that hurts, but you give them fluid or pain meds. So there's always like pros and cons of hurting people, but sometimes you got to squeeze hard enough that it hurts and, but it's going to save their life. So you do that. Now that, that could stop it. It could stop. The next thing you can do, you raise their hand in the air, 
it decreases the pressure of their leg in the air, decreases the pressure in the limb, and it allows the bleeding to slow down. It's not going you're never really going to stop anybody's bleeding. You can also find pressure points, which I find if you're not trained in this, if you, you haven't, you know, got used to like feeling where someone's pulses, these ones are a little harder to do, but if you didn't have any, uh, any tools, this would be the next thing you would want to do is find that pressure point and push on it. And that would slow, maybe stop the bleeding. Then lastly, the tourniquet. The tourniquet is designed to shut the blood flow off, anything distal. So when we use the word distal, it means away from the trunk of the body. So if I cut my forearm just near my elbow, I'd come up on my bicep. I'm going to put that tourniquet on, and I put the tourniquet on until the bleeding stops. Now, if it's been a lot of blood and it's covered in the arm, you might not know. So just, just crank it down. And this is, again, this is the hard part. It's going to hurt. You're going to do it, and it's going to hurt them. If you've got it cranked down, you don't feel like you can go anymore, you can add another one, another tourniquet. A couple uh, things you don't want to do, you don't want to put it right over a joint. You don't want to put it right next to the, the wound. You want to give it a couple inches of space. So if it's up close to the elbow, if it was on the forearm, go up on the bicep. If it was at the wrist, you could go up a couple inches, and you just crank down on it. You could do, you can actually practice and see what this feels like by uh, you know putting a tourniquet on, feeling the pulse. And when the pulse goes away, that would have been tight enough to make the bleeding stop. And and you can by doing that, you can save someone's life. Like you have the power to save their lives. And that I don't know why everybody wouldn't have a tourniquet in your car. I really encourage people who do things, uh, whether they're hobbies or their job. Uh, that have pieces of equipment that are designed to poke holes or to cut things. For instance, if you're using a table saw that's designed to cut things, you are a thing. If you're using that thing, that table saw, you should have a tourniquet. If you shoot a gun, you carry a gun, that is designed to poke holes in things, to put a big hole in the front and a bigger hole in the back, right? You should have something to stop the bleeding, if you go, you're bow hunting. Again, I can go down the list. And when I'm out in the woods, when I'm hunting, the only first aid kit that I have that I carry with me is a tourniquet. I put a tourniquet in my pocket and that's it. I don't carry other things that I figure if it's, if it's bad enough, I can fix the problem with the tourniquet. And if I don't need a tourniquet, it's not that bad. I can, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out on my way to the car to go get my first aid kit. That's my thinking. Some people have different philosophies, but to me, I just bring a tourniquet. That's major bleeding in your, your limbs. What about bleeding in your trunk? So this would be your abdomen and your, uh, your chest where you breathe, your thora uh, thoracic area. So the trunk, neck. You obviously can't put a tourniquet on your trunk. Not really. There's some advanced uh, things that they have for like, anyways, internal bleeding, but we won't get into that. But if you have a hole in you for some reason, and there's, again, anything coming out, blood, other fluids coming out, you want to stop that. The way you stop that is you start direct pressure. You put something on it. You put something that can absorb the blood coming out, and you hold it. The other thing you can do is if you have um, – you can pack the wound. So, so let's say, unfortunately, in this day and age, um, active shooters are a thing. Mass shootings are a thing. They do happen, right? And being prepared is important. So let's say someone you knew was shot, and there's a hole in their trunk – what you're going to want to do, and they're bleeding from it, is you're going to take um, some absorbent material, 
hopefully sterile, but you know, at this point in emergencies, and you basically shove it into the hole that, that the, whatever created the wound, you keep shoving it in so no more can go in. And then you hold pressure on that and that can stop the bleeding that can save someone's life. So having, if I was, if I was going to have a minimal first aid kit, I would have three things. I would have a tourniquet. I would have um, bandaging that I could put into a, uh, a hole of some sort, so a wound packing kit. So they sell long strings of, band, of a bandage that comes either folded or it's like in a roll. And as you unroll it, you can put it in. And then for a little more money, they have stuff called uh, hemostatic agents, meaning they, they uh, facilitate blood clotting and they it's absorbed in this material. So as you're doing it and the blood comes in contact with this, uh, this agent, this, this chemical, it actually increases the amount of clotting and it clots faster. So in the military, that's what they use. Uh, you might hear it called quick clot. There's some other words. So I would have that, that I could, that I could uh, put into the wound. Um, I guess let me, I'll, I'll add four things. Then I would have something, an elastic type of bandage with some stretch and some, I can create some pressure that I could put on any of the wounds, wrap it tight and keep the bandaging on there tight. So this might be an ACE wrap. There's a thing called an Israeli bandage that has an absorbent material with elastic around it. And you put it, you want to get that tight to hold it all in in case you have to move somebody, you can't keep your hand on it. And the, um, the fourth thing that I would have would be a chest seal, two chest seals to be exact. So that'd be like a chest seal kit. And that is designed if, uh, so we have our abdomen, which is below our rib cage. That's where your intestines are, your kidney, liver, kind of, we call it your guts. Then you have your upper chest, which is your lungs and your heart. And what can happen is if you get a hole in your chest in the upper part, air escapes, it causes your lung to, um, to collapse as the air is filling, or filling up outside of your lung and it collapses your lung. So you don't want air getting in anywhere else besides your mouth and your nose. So these chest seals cover the hole up and they let the air out so the pressure doesn't build up but it doesn't allow air to get sucked in and to collapse your lung. Because when you collapse your lung, that lung doesn't work, and it can push on your heart, which creates other problems. And they usually sell chest seals in two because if a hole went in, it usually came out. So you'll put one on the front or back. There's a vent on these, again, to let the pressure out but not let the air in. That would be my first aid kit or a trauma kit for emergencies. I would have a tourniquet something to pack a wound, something to hold pressure on a wound, some type of elastic bandage, and chest seals. That's all you need. Now you can make this better. Uh, so a set of trauma shears. Uh, I remember they would used to advertise the trauma shears that can cut through a penny and they can, but usually they don't cut much else after that. So like, don't just cut through pennies, uh, keep them sharp. Uh, but yeah, that way you can get, get to the wounds. Um, realize that, um, this was surprising for me when it came to gunshots, especially for handgun rounds. Many times they don't bleed as much as you'd think. I just recently had a shooting and um, there was five or six holes in this person and almost zero blood. It was very odd, but still we would still like any of the chest stuff, chest seals, bandaging, tourniquets for any of this major bleeding and just being prepared and thinking through um, the process of what could happen. You know, like if you, again, going back to, you know, prepping and preparing and providing a safe place, everything we do is not safe. You know, if you're cooking, you're, you're either using lots of electricity or flammable gases. Like, and we know the problems we can have. We could have a, an explosion or a fire 
And we can do things to prevent that and detect that and to avoid that. One, have working smoke detectors, have working CO, CO detectors. The other day, my daughter was making some tea, so she's heating something up on the stovetop. And I asked her, I said, what would you do if, you know, there's some there's a wood cutting block next door, if that caught on, or next to the, the stove, what would you do if that caught on fire right now? And she said, um, I would get a cup and fill it up and throw it on it from the sink. I'm like, that's a good idea. I said, if that didn't work, could you do something else? Could you use a fire extinguisher? And she said, do we have a fire extinguisher? And in my mind, I'm like, of course we do. Like, it's in the closet. I said, yeah, we have a fire extinguisher. I'm like, you don't know where it's at? She's like, no, I don't. And so as I walked to the closet, she's like, oh, yeah, I remember. But I had never actually asked her. It just dawned on me. I, I had never prepped them for that. That's something you can do that that is very easy. Just ask your kids, hey, if all of a sudden me and mom went out to eat, we didn't come home and it was three, it was two in the morning and you realized that we, what would you do? Well, I would call Mimi and grandpa and then I would, you know, like put them in a scenario and you don't have to be scary about it. Just like you could even be fun. Hey, if, uh, if, uh, you know, a killer clown came to the door and you obviously didn't want them in, what would you do? Well, I would try to maybe peek and see who it is. And when I saw it was a killer clown, I wouldn't come out and I would call the police. Okay, cool. When you call the police, what would you tell them? What's your address? You know, like you can prep your kids and that's probably just as important as prepping them with the first aid kit. Hey, if this happens, if you were to cut yourself, how do you put a tourniquet on? Like my oldest, they have, we've done that together. We've, I've showed them, Hey, this is how you relieve choking. You hit somebody on the back or if it's a baby or you do abdominal thrust, if it's an adult, this is how you do hands only CPR. We can prep our families. We can prep, um, our kids and just giving them the confidence to do that, um, is very helpful. I recently taught a, a CPR class and we just did a little bit of first aid. I just kind of generally talked about what you would do if someone passed out. It wasn't a first aid class. It was just CPR. And I had someone in the class saying, hey, there was an emergency at my house, and I want to thank you because you helped me to not freak out. Because I didn't freak out, the you know the person having the medical emergency didn't freak out, and it was all okay. And I just want to say thank you. And it wasn't anything I did, but I gave them some tools. I told them what to do. I, gave, I told them that it's really important to hand out assignments. You do that. You call 911, you do this. And she said, I was able to maintain my calm and that made the scene better. And when you're prepared and you have thought through the possibilities of what could happen, like we know, like I know where I live. If you drive long enough, you're going to get into a car accident because someone's going to hit you or you're going to spin out. It's icy, it's cold. And what do you do? Well, in my car, I've got a blanket. I've got a set of gloves. i got a hat. I'm not going to be cold. I'm going to be okay until someone comes to get me. I have a plan. If you have family members that have anxiety, that can really help. Now, there's a fine line between like worrying about every single thing and preparing for every single thing. And I don't think you want to bring worry into your family's lives, but just just talking through just talking through scenarios. Hey, what would you do um, if if you were you know if your kids start learning how to cook and you cut your finger? Where's the band aids? You know, like what if you had a choice of this dish rag or the clean paper towel? Which one are you going to use? I'm going to use a paper towel because it's clean. Better idea than the dirty dish rag. Like you can prep your family, and it doesn't take a lot. You don't have to spend a lot of money. I know there's like the prepper world. If you if you YouTube prepper. You can see some crazy, some people with just some crazy ideas, worried about 
zombie apocalypse, you know, have 10 years worth of food. And that's awesome. And I think to me, that's more of a hobby. Like they just really like that kind of stuff. So they using like anything could happen to like be able to do their hobby. But is it realistic to go have two weeks worth of food and two weeks worth of water and just to prep for things that can happen? Absolutely. Um, if you like this stuff, listening to it is not enough. You have to put it into action. You have to go get some good training. The American Heart class that I teach is taught throughout the country. It's a, it's a really good for a CPR class. I think they do a really good job of teaching you CPR. It's an okay first aid class where I, like when I do it, I spend a ton of time on bleeding control. Cause again, that's one of the things you can actually fix all the other stuff you learn to recognize emergencies. I don't think that's as big of a deal, but uh, you need to go out and get really good hands-on training and it just, and then practice, keep a tourniquet, buy one of the $12 ones at, uh, at uh, uh, Amazon and just practice, put it on your leg and see if you can uh, cut the circulation off to your foot. <laughs> like, uh, you know, maybe don't do it too much, but uh, practice, practice, putting it on, getting it tight, cranking it down and then undoing it and just see it. Ask your kid, Hey, let's pretend I just cut my leg with a chainsaw. What would you do? See what they do. And then you learn and you, you adapt, uh, get a good first aid kit, have one in all your, both cars or however many cars you have, have one in your house and have everybody know where it's at and know how to use it. You know, have fire extinguisher readily available. What problems could you have? If you live down in Florida, have a way, you know, figure out what to do during a hurricane, like plan this stuff, prep. The mindset is just as important as the tools. So practice this stuff. You don't have to get weird about it. Just, uh, just be ready. So, uh, this has been the earn your title podcast. I want you to do that. One of those titles is to, uh, when you're uh, on your husband and a father is to be prepared. I want you to be prepared. So you have to be prepared every day because you never know what's going to happen. You have to put the stuff into action. Thank you for listening. And I uh, just, it's been so awesome. If you are looking for something to uh, push yourself to become a better husband, father, and leader, I have the 28-day Earn Your Title Challenge. I'm currently promoting it. It's totally free. I just wanted to offer you just some daily things that can make your life better. So uh, take me up on that offer. Uh, sign up. There is a link at the end. I'm not spamming email. I'm not currently not sending anything, anything else but the 28-day challenge. It's a checklist of daily topics that you can do that makes you a better husband, father, leader. Again, this has been the Earn Your Title Podcast. My name is Danny Dumas, and I will talk to you later. Bye.